Hello and welcome to the Slay Today podcast. This is the first of a two-part episode focused on building and maintaining motivation with Antonio Perales, a great motivational speaker I first encountered when he was doing a workshop at the LGBT Center here in San Diego. I have to say I had a solid plan for this interview going in. But before we started recording, Tony opened up to me about some issues that he had faced, and he was just so open and honest with his experience that I tore up my initial plan and we went in a much more insightful and powerful direction. I'm really excited to share this with you. Before we get into the meat of the discussion, I asked Tony for some of his favorite motivational songs. We're going to start off with a clip from one of those songs, Hand in My Pocket by Lance Moisette, and why the song speaks to him. talks about like the uh, like the juxtapose of life like how from one minute we can feel happy and the next minute we feel really down and sometimes we feel like we're in control and then the next minute we feel like we're lost but then she says everything's going to be fine 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 because I got one hand in my pocket and the other one is throwing up a peace sign today we're talking with Tony yes my name is Antonio Andres Perales I'm also known as Tony um and I am a motivational speaker and corporate consultant. So I have a company named Prowls Consulting, which is my name. I'm very clever. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are basically corporate trainers. We train leaders on how to effectively manage, engage, and retain their people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side of it is we have motivational speakers who travel throughout the country speaking to colleges and universities and organizations, uh, really trying to motivate people to become the best version of themselves, whatever that looks like for them. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so this, uh, for this episode, I want to focus on one of the first steps in SMART, which is building and maintaining motivation. And I thought, oh, motivation. I've got to <laughs> talk to Tony because he knows all about that. Do yeah. I? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, and then it's, and for us, it's, you know, it's a focus on building motivation because we're, we're dealing with some kind of from, from some maladaptive behavior and, you know, setting new goals in life and working towards those goals and, and doing with any, you know, urges you have towards the old behavior you had. And you've had to deal with some urges yourselves in, in your own life, right? Yeah. I mean, and it really came out in dialogue with, with you. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't plan on going here at all, but yeah. No, I mean, I think that. I've always been a very uh, conscious, controlled, and at least in my mind, and and particular person. So I was always very intentional with everything that I did, which gave me the hope and the belief that I could control almost anything. Me um, too. Me too. Yeah, I think that's a common feeling for a lot of people, and but it's also it's a human nature to believe that we have power to control things, and then when we go in like a dive into a certain space of our lives that we don't understand why we're doing certain things. We have to take a step back and try to understand why am I doing it? And then do I want to change it? How do I change it? Mm -hmm. And when I'm in the midst of those triggers, how do I stop it? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for me, it was very much, and it's still a common struggle, but it's the idea of if for so long, I thought that sex was equated to like someone caring for you or Mm -hmm. that sex was intimacy. And we kind of spoke about this a bit, like, sex isn't intimacy. You can have sex and not be intimate or you can be intimate and not have sex. Um, but from what my upbringing was, sex was a, the, I've got to say this out loud. It's kind of crazy. But the, if you had 
<laughs> if you know, if, if people wanted you in that way, mm. then there was your validity. Mm. There was your like. That's where you get your self worth from. Yeah, and mm. like the more that people want you in that space, then the more attractive you feel. Um, and for me, it was you know, sex is just a. It was some, and I still have very very intense urges, but it's just something that I. Uh, I noticed after I separated from my ex, we were together seven years that it was a fulfillment that I wanted to fill as much as I could until the point where I started questioning, well, why am I filling this? What is the void that I'm trying to fill? Mm -hmm. And then you start looking at like patterns that you were taught by families and friends and parents and what did they teach you? And sometimes it's even like the word choices that people that are influential in our life might say to us when we're young Mm -hmm. and we catch those phrases and we stick it in our mind. Like, I am my father or like I am my mother or, you know, like I'm just like my brother. Mm. And then we almost start to like, it's like a self manifestation that we become that characteristic. Mm. Um, And that was a big thing for me to, that sex was just so interconnected with my worth, my, I don't know, my value, I guess. Yeah. That's so weird just because like, I think we, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a gay male, my, my identity was totally separate from that. I viewed, sex with such shame and whatever mm-hmm. that my worth came from abstaining from that. Mm. Like I had to be as far away from sex as possible. Cause when I did sex, I was a bad person. So yeah, I, would, I wouldn't get any self-worth out of that. That was something that it took alcohol and drugs for me to get away from that and actually be intimate with anybody. And you have like the opposite experience yeah. with sex. Well, was it for you that once you were done, then the shame came back? Oh, yeah. Like, it was like an instantaneous... Well, I mean, the high would help with that. <laughs> <laughs> so it would be it. less instantaneous. That was the whole point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, that we could keep that shame, you know, out there as long as possible mm-hmm. by not being sober. It's funny that you use the word shame because shame is very much connected with the, the word guilt. Yeah. And then guilt is very much connected with, like what people identify as good and bad or right and wrong or, uh-huh. you know, ugly, not ugly. And like the moment that we start doing things that we fall into that, it's like a shame spiral, mm-hmm. I guess. Right. Like guilt becomes such a heavy like feeling that mm. I could see why for you numbing, it was the drug. And for me, numbing, it was the sex. Mm. But then, but for me, once the sex was done, I had that instantaneous feeling of like, ah, mm. and you know, like, and I could, I even started noticing it in my actions. Like, once I was done, I had to get up, clean myself, shower, and then mm. get back to my normal self. And then when the urges came back, then I would go through that session again. And then it was very yeah, no, absolutely pragmatic for me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, it's funny. So I was in a meeting the other day, and there's a person talking about guilt and shame and what the definition that person gave. The camera was a male, female. But it was um, uh, that, that guilt is about behavior. So I've done okay. something I feel guilty about, mm. and shame's about the identity, who I am. I, ah. I feel shame about me. And so when you do something, it's normal to feel guilty when you do something that kind of goes against your values. Mm-hmm. But when you, when it gets to shame, now it's about like, you just feel bad about your own identity and yeah. that's worse. Like you gotta, it, it, guilt's normal. I, I, that's it's a shame that, that, that you need to, to really get. And I think it's interesting because society teaches us how to feel guilt and shame, but they don't teach us how to forgive ourselves. Right. Like, because I think part of the healing and part of like the acceptance and getting past it is the, the, 
mag the, the power that forgiveness has. And I don't think we're taught how to forgive ourselves. Mm. Like we're taught how to forgive other people. And we say you should forgive other people, but most of us won't forgive ourselves. Mm. Um, and that was a big lesson for me. And I think for, and I, and I, I think it's probably the same for you because mm. with the shame, right. In order to numb it, you do one thing, but then at a certain point, you have to say that you forgive yourself for putting yourself through that, right. For, mm. for using that the way that you did. And that's, but that takes time. And that's it. So like society will teach you how to feel guilty for being who you are. It will teach you how to have shame for your, you know, for what you feel, but then how do you forgive yourself? And that's like a whole nother skill set that I think, especially in the gay community, we don't have mm. because we've been, a lot of us have issues with our parents because a lot of our parents don't accept us. Right. But at a certain point, we need to forgive them for that. And mm. that's a whole other conversation. But, <laughs> but I mean, like, yeah. forgiving your parents for not accepting you is where you take the power back and stating, I don't, I would like your approval. I don't need your approval, mm. but I forgive you for the space that you're in. And I hope that one day you'll accept me, but I don't need that from you right now. Um, but I think it all gets connected, especially in the gay community. We have a lot of layers of pain, guilt, shame that gets built in. And then some of us resort to something to numb it. Yeah. Whether it's drugs, and you kind of said it before, like drugs, food, um, sex. Gambling, gambling. Guess sex, it could be anything. Yeah, yeah. But I think the only one that's really taken seriously and identified is if there is a, a substance, like yeah. a drug or something. But like if you're a gambler, then stop doing it. You're, mm-hmm. you're, no, you know, you're bad. If you're eating, stop eating. Mm-hmm. But with drugs, it's almost like because we know that it's so difficult to stop that, like mm-hmm. how do we help? And then once the person is in recovery, how do you support them? So I think there's a lot of like, Mm-hmm. layers to these conversations obviously so yeah no it's interesting i hadn't thought about this till we're talking about it but like because we're talking about motivation um for the there's a point where you start setting new goals for yourself and i'm going to build this new mm-hmm. better person out there and you set those goals but the problem is that it's nice to have those goals and make them definable and you know achievable and measurable but um if you still have this internal monologue of i'm not worthy i'm not mm-hmm. a good person i can't do whatever you're not going to get you, those goals aren't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have the engine engine to like actually start achieving those things. Yeah. And I, I, I think you said it very well because that a lot of us and myself included. And as you were saying it, I started thinking about my own self-destructive monologue that I have sometimes, which to me is the power to freedom is once you can control that internal dialogue, that's when you can achieve peace and freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, but I noticed that even when I'm like doing well um, with my companies, that I always get to this point of like, this is going too good. Something has to go bad. Mm. And if and, and if the external force isn't going to do it, then I'll figure out a way to sabotage it myself kind of a thing. Mm. And I know that sounds crazy, but I think if you think about that, you'll start connecting it to some of our own behaviors. Like we almost, if something doesn't go wrong when things are going good, we learn how to self-sabotage. Mm. And, and, but I think where that's where forgiveness comes in and, and, and acceptance, because if, and I, I'd say for like drug use, right? Like if I'm doing well, everything is going well. I feel the pressure to keep on doing well, right? Mm-hmm. And then if I don't feel worthy enough and I haven't forgiven myself, then in some way I'm going to sabotage it and try to get back to that space where it's not all the pressure of having to go from day 90 to 91 to 92 to 93, right? Yeah. And maybe it's just, but I think it's it's all like very much interconnected. Have you done that? Have you have you looking back said, Oh, I totally sabotaged myself there. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, I was in a seven year relationship that I thought he was going to be my husband. And it was, and I noticed that I got to a point where 
self, I don't know if self-sabotage is the right word, but I started doing things that I knew weren't healthy for my relationship. And I'm not talking about cheating because I was a faithful partner to my, to, to the guy I was dating, but I noticed that like emotionally I started closing off and like, it was like these self-sabotaging things that in the moment I felt like, well, it it feels right. Mm -hmm. Looking back on it, I'm like, I saw what I did there. Mm -hmm. You know, like I don't want to do that again. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about goals, a big goal for me is, you know, when I step into a new relationship that everything that I did wrong at the end of my last relationship that I don't do wrong in this new relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a very much live and learn like self-awareness, self-reflection, um, self-assessment that I look back and I'm like, okay. But and I think in my relationships, I've done that in my professional space. I think I have a different attitude towards it mm. where I feel like I'm deserving of it because I work so much, mm. but in the emotional space, it's a different kind of feeling than I'm professional. Mm. We talked a little bit about like, I mean, cause it, I, you know, it's so easy to separate like professional stuff from personal stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think <coughs> setting professional goals is, easier mm-hmm. than setting personal goals both in terms of like having them be measurable but also like your emotional commitment to that goal can be different well i'd say this mm-hmm. sorry i don't know if you're going to add on to that but no professional goals a lot of times is focused on input and then external forces mm-hmm. right if i want to start a company my input and but then i need external forces to start helping me get in front of the right person or, or get the right customer or, and if it's not in that space, then a new skill that I want to learn, who's going to help me learn that? Like what school am I going to go to? What degree am I going to get? When it's personal, mm-hmm. there's nobody else that you can hold accountable for it, but yourself. So mm-hmm. it's easier to set professional goals because it's kind of measurable, mm-hmm. right? And based on the income that you get, the new job that you get or whatever it is, like you can measure that, but internal, it's like that. I call it like, it's a, a silent, it's the silent discussion. It's the silent work, mm. the isolation work when you're sitting by yourself and like ugly thoughts. And like, how do you get, if you say you want to be more accepting and giving of love, then what's holding you back? But that's like an internal one-on-one thing mm. where that's more difficult to to deal with than professional, where it's a lot of times other forces are included in that, in mm. that process. If that Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Cause I, I, I Again, myself included, I, I don't like, now I'm more comfortable with it, but sitting with ugly thoughts of myself and like sitting with like shame is very, um, a very difficult thing, which I think I would, I would numb myself. Um, now, and if you think about it, like this, a lot of times people say, oh, I, I got a promotion. Let's go have a drink. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling really down today. Let's go have a drink. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Friday. Let's go have a drink. But we're all like, we use substance as celebration for sadness, for anxiety, for everything. Right. But mm-hmm. at a certain point, if we, if we don't sit through it without the interfer- the interference of substance, then we never deal with the core. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like this big cloud. Do you have, have you developed ways in your life to deal with that then to actually make time to start? thinking about and working on those personal thoughts or is that a concrete, is there meditation? Do you, is there, what is your, I for honestly, there's, it depends on, on what the exactly that's what, what, what's the issue that I'm dealing with, mm. but I've 
found very much going to the gym and running was a an outlet for me that once I stepped into that space, it gives me so much solace and peace and uh, an opportunity to think. Mm-hmm. Um, I also noticed that before when I used to get really, really stressed out, well, the first thing that I would do is reach for friends. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's a good thing because friends give you insight and they help you. But at the same time, I was using it as a crutch. Mm-hmm. So anytime I was feeling something very, very intense, I would call my friends and we would hang out. Mm-hmm. And whether we were smoking or drinking or whatever, I just knew that there was people around me. Mm-hmm. But the moment that I started sitting in like true solace mm-hmm. was when my growth happened because I'm an extrovert by nature. So I want to be around people, but I knew that my growth had to happen in isolation in some way. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that when I'm hurting or sad, I won't reach out to people, but I also want there's sometimes that I have to sit with myself to feel a, a feeling before I expose myself to somebody else's opinion or somebody giving me sympathy or empathy. Um, so, so I'd say fitness was, is a big thing. Learning to sit by myself was probably the most difficult challenge for me. Well, let's, let's go deep into that. Nuts yeah. and bolts. Like, so what do you do? You sit on the couch? Or what do you uh, do? Well, How does that work? Okay. So a lot of times, so, and I train a lot of my clients on this as well is when I'm sitting in a thought, I want like, let's say if it's cause you have good and bad stress, right? Mm-hmm. For good stress, I have to make a decision on, do I want to take this job or not, right? I say, write down, take a piece of paper, put a line down the middle, write down the good and bad of you going to that new job, Mm. right? So that's good stress, bad stress. I don't want to be with my boyfriend or girlfriend anymore. Mm. Still same strategy. Put a piece of paper right down the middle on one side. What is the the good reasons to stay with them? What is the bad reasons to to stay with them, Mm. right? So a lot of times I kind of go through that. The other side of it in the solace when I'm in like an an emotional space Mm -hmm. is I try to understand why am I feeling this, Mm -hmm. right? So if I feel, and I think in our community, body image is extremely, extremely intense in our minds from the most fit guy Mm -hmm. to the guy who doesn't take care of himself at all. We all have these body image issues because we're so harsh on each other about the way that we're supposed to look and the moment that you get over a certain age, now you're an old queen as opposed to like a young twink or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we beat each other up in all these ways. 40 so, being gay deaths. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it literally is. Um, but I mean, like even with things like that, like when I have- I say that like, somebody over 40. Just, <laughs> <laughs> are you over 40? I am. Wow. Good for you. You have great skin. <laughs> you're <Yeah>. still alive. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, you guys are still alive. <laughs> Well, see, you remember Kennedy? Um, yeah, no, I mean, so when I when I say sitting in a thought, it's when I have an intense feeling of sadness, mm. I know that there's certain ways that I would try to fill that void. Yeah. Friends, weed, drinking, or sex, mm. right? And then I got to a point where none of those were fulfilling anymore mm. because they were all crutches. Yeah. So that means that I now have to sit with myself and say, why do I feel sad, mm. right? What is it that's making me feel sad? And so I have, I'm a big proponent of writing things down. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, both of my roommates have draw, uh, boards in their room, mm-hmm. right? like chalkboards. Okay. She has a, a whiteboard. In my other place, I have another whiteboard where I say, write down what, you, what you're feeling. Like literally write it down somewhere, a piece of paper. Like I'm feeling sad. Mm-hmm. Why am I feeling sad? Because I'm hurt. Mm-hmm. Well, why am I hurt? And I know that this sounds, it made it sound like, weird to people, but I do that in my mind. And then sometimes I'll do it on paper. Mm-hmm. And, and what it does, it just makes me, cause a lot of us say, ah, 
I feel sad. Well, sad is a one word, but at the root of sad, there's a lot of different words. Like, why are you sad? Right? Like, I feel ashamed. I feel embarrassed. Right? Why do I feel embarrassed? Because I went back and I did something that I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, for me, it was sex. Like, I had sex with that person. I didn't want to have sex with that person. And if I didn't use a condom, even worse, now I'm in full anxiety mode. Right? So, like, but then I start getting deeper and deeper. And once I see it, mm-hmm. I forgive you, Tony. I forgive you. That's not what you want to do. But next time you have to be stronger than that. Like, and so I'm constantly going through that, through that process of what is the feeling that I'm feeling? And then almost segmenting it down so that it's something that is completely understandable for me Mm -hmm. because abstract statements, like I feel sad, Mm -hmm. that's an abstract, like that's like a, an airy thought. Right. Mm -hmm. But I feel ashamed. Mm -hmm. That's a different thing. Like, why do I feel ashamed? Mm -hmm. Because that's, that, that makes me, you know, that's not the person that I want to be. That's not the person that I've been working towards being like, and so I'll break it down to that point. And then at the end of that, not that I say like, I forgive myself at that moment, yeah. but then my goal is to forgive myself for the action that I'm really trying to work against mm-hmm. or, or trying to work away from. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, I like the process of, okay. Like this, there's, there's this physical element to your process, which is like writing these things down mm-hmm. and being able to see them as a tangible thing, mm-hmm. then breaking down, like, why do I feel this way mm-hmm. and doing with that and whatever behavior you had done. And then, you know, the final step of that being whether immediately or later, forgiving yourself for that. Yeah. Um, I think there's a version of that I saw where then like somebody might like just burn that paper and like that's yeah. their physical way of, of like, mm-hmm. you know, completing that release of, you know, forgetting that that's okay. This past is gone. I'm moved on. Mm-hmm. type stuff but that's and really a nice way I, I i'm a i'm a very i write stuff down like my team hates me because i have notebooks and notebooks and notebooks mm-hmm. but it's the way that i get to see and feel and mm-hmm. it's just part of it's part of my process mm-hmm. you know some people put notes on their phone i do voice notes a lot as you saw like I, i'm a big voice notes kind of guy so there's times that like i will make a voice note to myself like for good and bad days like good days i'd be like i just want you to remember you know september this where you were at dinner with your friend like I do that for gratitude. That's a whole nother part that I would definitely want to talk about with you. But, um, but I do that for a lot of my thoughts because mm. I, I need to get them out because I think so many of us, it's like this, our mind encapsulates our strongest power, which is our brain, which brings our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us don't have control over that, mm-hmm. which is where I believe a lot of us feel the sadness because we're, we're not conscious of our thoughts, which is impacting our feelings. Mm but we feel the feeling and then we try to numb the feeling, but we're not getting to the root cause, which is our thoughts. And so you have to kind of work backwards to get to that point. So that is an end to the first half of my interview with Tony. In part two of this interview, we get into the nuts and bolts of motivation and he shares how his family dealt with a family member who struggled with alcohol for decades. 